Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Well, hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective. The rugby podcast that is, I mean, we took a week off last week. Mm. which means we couldn't talk about a dog on the pitch like because like, there were no dogs on pitches. So we didn't have anything to talk about. Yeah. Um, but we're back again to cover the t- our two favourite subjects, dogs on pitches and Severa Corridor Dua. Joining me as ever is Will Owen. How are you doing? All right. It's unbelievable to think this is a quarterfinal we're discussing. We'll get on to the many things that happened, but isn't that crazy? The World Cup was there for this game. And also joining us, delighted to have back once again, Mr. Jamie Wall. How are we doing? Great. Thank you. It's awesome to be back. Hope you guys have been well. Really fired up for this one because I've been enjoying the podcast and it's just been such such a great trip down memory lane as a <laughs> as a someone who grew up in New Zealand in the 1980s. Um, it's been <laughs> it's been wonderful to see it through through someone else's eyes uh, mm. and uh, it brought a lot of great a lot of Great childhood memories back. How many dogs were running onto pitches when you were a kid? How how often was that happening? Well, by the state of this World Cup, (laughs) every weekend, uh, by the the things, I personally don't remember it being such a big deal. I know that back in the day, there were a lot more stray dogs around, so (laughs) maybe that's what it was. But I'm like, who's bringing these dogs like who brings a dog to to a rugby game and then secondly who if if they're not bringing them who's leaving the door open to let them just wander in (laughs) and then simply if you're a dog what are you doing walking into a rugby game i mean you got better things to do like find another dog to snuff i don't know like what is there better to do other than play test rugby (laughs) but like is this why they've added those new, like, full-length turnstiles so that dogs can't creep in under them when they're just metal bars? I I feel like I feel like that the amount of canine-related pitch invasion it, it, <laughs> it played a pivotal role in the development of New Zealand stadium infrastructure uh, after this tournament, which which we'll talk about, I'm sure, because mm. as you can see from the footage. I don't want to sort of jump the gun into what we're, what we're talking about, but obviously it's played at Eden Park and it looks a lot different to what it is now. Yeah. <laughs> I did not realise it was Eden Park until afterwards, until looking at the team sheet afterwards and be like, oh, that's the same ground. Yeah. Yeah. Look, Jamie, so yeah, we've, we've obviously been itching to have you back on ever since we had you on earlier in the tournament. And at this point, I think it's pretty much safe to say you're basically our Southern Hemisphere correspondent. Uh, we've had you back on that many times. And I think there's something quite interesting that's happened in between our last episode where we had you on and now. And that is that we personally at the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective sent you on a business trip to Fiji. <laughs> Uh, specifically with the intentions of just tracking down Superboot and saying hello to him. Yeah. Um, firstly, you say did, business trip, I say mission. 
It was a mission. It was a mission. Thank you for the correction. That's the correct word. Of course, this this all started when it turned out you were in Fiji, and I just inadvertently tweeted you saying, "Hey, bro, find Superboot," and you just DM me saying, "Yeah, there's actually like a solid chance I could do that." How was your trip to Fiji, Jamie? Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um, the people were were lovely. I I did. I have to say that when you probably think of Fiji, you think of resorts and palm trees and uh, and beaches. I was in the capital of Suva, which has none of those things. <laughs> and I was I was working there for for three weeks in a, in a new role that I've got with the um, Oceania Football Confederation. We were oh. we were running the Oceania Women's Nations Cup football tournament, which was oh, cool. a, which was a great great success. Um, I just thought I'd, I'd plug that. Um, one, yeah, one by it was it was one. Well, say congratulations to the PNG women's team because uh, Papua mm. New Guinea took out the final two one over over Fiji. And we're, I'm really proud to say we had over 6,000 people in oh, wow. Uh, wow. Chef's Park in, uh, in Suva for the final, which was awesome. Nice. So, yeah. But, yes, like you, like you mentioned, I did spend a lot of my downtime attempting to find Severo Korududua, or a.k.a. Superboot. And, in fact, on the first, the first time I actually ventured out of my hotel, because we were actually kind of bound to some strict covid protocols oh, okay um, yeah uh, so i ventured outside with my mask on and the first guy i ran into uh i asked him for some directions and we got talking and yeah you know because if you're a new zealander in fiji they will they will 100 just start talking about rugby sure and it's great <laughs> yeah i really I really, nice. I really enjoyed it and also i have to mention that fiji or at least suva is the capital of the most random as sports shirts you can possibly find. Like, all right, within about the space of walking one block, mm. uh, I saw a, a 1998 Crusaders jersey. Okay, uh, a, a Stormers, a Stormers jersey, a New South Wales Cup Rugby League jersey from the Wentworthville Magpies, which is a very, very niche thing. Like that guy must have played for them to have that jersey. <laughs> And if you are, if you're at all an American sports fan, and this is this mm. was the the best one I've ever seen, that a guy had a had a Brett Favre American football jersey, but not the Green Bay Packers. He had a Brett Favre jersey from when he played for the Atlanta Falcons, which was the first Ooh. time that first team that he'd been drafted by, and he played a grand total of two games for them before he was drafted. Wow! The wow. So I but was looking at it going, how on yeah he. I, I have no idea where this guy got this jersey from or why why he thought to buy it or it, why someone even made that jersey. But anyway, that was that was a good. But yeah, so all, all the kids have uh, just, I'm guessing it's because um, their relatives uh, go move to New Zealand and Australia and, and it's a big thing to send stuff back for Christmas. So mm. the obscure sports jersey is a real line of fashion in, in mm. Fiji and I love it. I love that. But anyway, sorry, back to my back to my uh, original point. So the, the bloke I met, Tony, he was very helpful, giving me direction. And then I said, oh, I'm going to try my luck here. And I said, do you know, and I pulled up, I Googled Superboot, and I said, do you know this man? <laughs> oh, yes. Severo Cordudo. Yeah, I know I know him. I know him personally. And I said, oh, wow, where, where is he? And he goes, yes, he is in Navoa, uh, near my village. And Navoa is about <laughs> an hour and a half down the coastline. Okay. And I thought, man, I can. I could get there if I want. I said, "What does he? What does he do now? Is he? Is he still a policeman? Because you know, obviously, mm. he goes, no, no, 
here's a, here's a security guard now. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense, you know, yeah. security guard. And I remember going and asking some of the other Fijian people that I'd met through work, and I said, if I went to Navoa and said, where is Severo <laughs> Corridor? They'd probably just say, and they said, oh, yeah, they'll just point you to his house. <laughs> and I went, oh, man, man, I've got to get to Navoa. You know, I've got to get down there somehow. Um, but with the COVID restrictions and with work, I just couldn't mm. get out of the city. Yeah. And I almost, I, I, I almost got there because I managed to almost get one of the rental cars. Uh, <laughs> but, but then, shockingly, I, I, I inquired with another, another uh, woman that was working with, and I was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm going to go try and see this man." You know. Okay. <laughs> she goes. Oh, I don't think he's in Navoa anymore. I think he's gone to his his family's place in in Bar, which is like right on the other side of the island, oh. like five five hours away. And it's just crazy that I've I managed to ask you know two people, do you know this guy? Like, <laughs> yeah, not only do I know him, I know where he is right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to kind of shelve the idea, but. But I can tell you one thing, because after that, I just uh, I, I started talking with her and her friends. Everybody knew who he was. He That's was incredible. He, he's, a, he's a legend, and he I think he's like a their version of an OBE over there. Oh wow! So he, oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. So he's very. He's obviously got a pretty high standing in the community. Yeah, not just rugby as well. Um, oh, but I'm also, so happy to hear that. Also, I got talking about this 1987 Fijian team, and they are quite highly regarded because mm-hmm. it was, you know, it's World Cup, and they did they. It's, it's yeah. I mean, it's obviously the the furthest equal the Fijian yeah. teams progressed in. Yeah. So they yeah. Held, they held in very high regard. So mm. so that was pretty cool. But it was pretty cool that the guy that you guys have been obsessing over for months now is actually worth it because he's pretty famous over there. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Also, what would you have said if you did just if if you like completed the mission and Superboot was stood in front of you? What would you have said? Just I have two mates who love you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I was just gonna. Oh, I was gonna ask him about what he remembered about the eighty-seven World Cup because yeah. I think. Of, uh, but yeah, I was gonna say that. Do you know that you have you've you've there's a Renate there's a corridor do a renaissance going on right now <laughs> this podcast run out of whale uh or yeah. out of the uk and just see what he says <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was that was that was my plan but i was going to drive that far to ask those two questions probably get about five seconds worth of an answer and then jump my car and drop back <laughs> also, some some very dodgy fijian road because they got pretty hairy as soon as you left the city i can tell you that much <laughs> It would have been a hundred percent worth it, Jamie. That's a heroic yeah. effort, man. That, I, yeah, I cannot tell you. Like nobody has done more for this podcast than you have by <laughs> attempting to just find Superboot because you happen to be in the same country as him. Yeah, I. Well, like I said, if I'd had the resources at my disposal, I'm fairly confident <laughs> I would have been able to accomplish that. And I'm not giving up. One day I will return to Fiji and I'll find him. One day, one day we need to do an outing. We need to go a trip to Fiji, the three of us. I'm down well, track him yeah, down. We still have to stage our coup as well. That's true. Yeah, that's that's true. true. Can we? I was staying. I was. I was staying within walking distance of the armory and the presidential palace. So, mm. you know, with um, the, the 
I think I think between the three of us, we probably could have made something happen. <laughs> <laughs> how how reinforced are they? How what do you think? Considering uh, I am very well, small, the armory the armory had a fence that I could have climbed over. Um, okay. There didn't seem to be there didn't seem to be any guards or anything. Um, and the presidential palace is guarded by one ceremonial guard uh, with a gun with a gun okay. that I'm pretty sure has no bullets in it. <laughs> If said guard was Severo Corridor, then we'd be in trouble. Oh, but... yeah, yeah. He, he would have booted us right into the bay. Flick <laughs> of his toe. So, yeah, so um, honestly, absolutely heroic effort, as Will mm. just said. I am completely in awe of that. Thank nothing, you. Nothing will ever top that on this podcast. Was there any other big takeaways from your time in Fiji? Oh, well, just mainly that they just absolutely love rugby. And if you can, as soon as they can figure out that you're a New Zealander or an Aussie, you, you you just get your ear chewed off for the next couple of hours. My favourite, I think, I think what was cool, um, you know, from a serious perspective uh, over mm. there is that the drawer have a really big following. Like they oh, have, that's cool. they've really sort of captured the hearts and minds of the, of the people over there. Like the stadium is really decked out in this stuff and, um, there's a lot of merchandise around, like a lot That's of cool. obviously they love the sports jerseys, so they they're into that, um, into the drawer jerseys as well. Had some really interesting chats with some people over there that sort of have some mixed feelings about how that team, like what role that team's going to play, because obviously from a New Zealand perspective, it, it's like oh this is great because it means that they can retain their players, they can have the bulk of their squad coming out of one team in a high performance environment. Yeah, and that it's going to really benefit the Fijian national team. But some of the feeling over there was actually it's like, nah, that's just a showcase for French mm. and you know, other rugby clubs to just take their pick of what right. what they want out of there because they had a very good couple of standout players this year in, in Super Rugby Pacific, and pretty much everybody was just resigned to the fact like, oh, nah, he'll be gone by yeah. you know, next year, which is which is a bit of a shame, but. That was pretty cool. And also that, and I tweeted about this the other day, I'm not sure if you saw it, but obviously the the drawer had a really, really good, I think it was their last game, and they Mm. played it in Lautoka against the Chiefs. And they were down, I think, 35-13, and then last 15 minutes had this big comeback to get back to within one point and really should have won the game. It's probably the best game in Super Rugby all year. And they scored a, a, a length of the field try mm. and it was a great bit of commentary by Greg Clark from Stan Sport and like probably best best call of the year and every Fijian person that I talk to about that knows that call off by heart. Oh. No. But, and and they and they love it. They absolutely love it. The other the other big takeaway is that also mm. every single person in Fiji has one of these. Oh, hello. Oh, yes. Hello. That, yeah. The, the Ben so Ryan seven dollar cent. Uh, or is that uh, last year's? No, this is the this is a new one. Oh, um, nice. Got the Fijiana on the back. Oh, nice. the yeah. so the bronze medal. So that's the seven dollar note. So every single person in Fiji has one of these. It's impossible to get one because mm. no one wants to actually give them up. No. So everyone just carries one with them and i had to go to uh like a money exchange uh to get one so could you just ask for it could you uh, i had to i had to buy it like i exchanged i think i had some australian money in my 
Okay. And my wallet. And it you gave him the World Cup in uh, in return. It's oh, not ours to give, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and it won't be for a while, but all those things. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Well, yeah, you've seemingly been the busiest man in all mm. the media at the minute, just covering, talking about how the All Blacks are, you know, yeah. not having the best time. Um, you've been on telly, you've been on uh, Twitter, you've been publishing stuff, you've been everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it, it's obviously sad as a New Zealand as a New mm. Zealander watching watching the All Blacks go through this stage because it hasn't happened since the late nineteen nineties. Mm. But obviously, as a as a journalist, it's been very very busy time um, for us. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been busy, but there's been a lot of other guys just working their absolute asses off in the industry here because a lot of stuff. I think without getting too far into it you know because obviously we've got this big game to cover but like mm. a lot of stuff is kind of coming out of the woodwork in terms of the way the all blacks are run um mm. the relationship to the governing body new zealand rugby and then the wider relationship with all black fandom itself mm. uh because i think they've really underestimated just how kind of divorced uh the relationship and strained it is yeah. and there's a lot of people out there just kind of I wouldn't say enjoying them failing. Like, that's not correct. It's more like sort of uh, kind of more like I told you so from the New Zealand public. Sure. Yeah, because yeah. A, lot of could, a lot of people could kind of see this see this happening. Mm, um, yeah. And a lot of it's to do, like a lot of the conjecture around the coaching situation, which is the main point of conversation. Mm. Because really, when you look at the team, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have your own views about this as well, but like there's not exactly like a lot of selection dramas going on. Yeah. It's not like mm. these people yelling out like, oh, he should be in the team and he shouldn't be in that. They've got the players, but I think yeah. a part of it is, is that a lot of people are realizing that this team isn't actually that good, that a lot of the players that we would have deemed world-class aren't, and that a lot of the senior leadership aren't doing the job. Mm. Um, but around the coaching itself, it's it's always it's never been about Foster, the guy, because he's a nice guy. Yeah, we get along. He's he's you know obviously a, he's done something right in coaching to get to where he is. So it's not even almost really about his coaching style. Hmm. It's about how he got the job and about hmm. how he the succession plan rolling on from Hanson and to just continue that regime was not sustainable at all sure and that and i'm sure that you've obviously done a lot of analysis but what it comes down to is they haven't evolved yeah 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 yeah. they haven't people have uh all the other teams have gotten ahead of them and they haven't caught up and it's really it basically just boils down to that that it's been a stagnant environment coaching wise and then to hear foster come out after the game on the weekend which was just just a flat loss really like it was just the spring, everyone knew what the Springboks were going to do in that game. Everyone yeah. knew. And they did it. And the only one, and, and you would have thought that, like, you've had how many months to prepare for this game? And 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 you've, they might as well have given you the game plan. Yeah. Sure. And yeah, no, yeah. There was, no, there was no answer to it at all. Yeah. Like, it's just come up with some sort of way of doing um, it. And that's kind of, that kind of sums the whole thing up. Yeah. And him, the, the comments that I think a few people shared again out, you know, after this weekend from last year of Foster saying he fell asleep watching the Lions tactics, he'd mm, never do yeah. that. 
But then you look at even Wales, who are frankly a bit of a shambles at the minute, yeah. and have not been yeah, playing yeah. well. We're able to take it to the Springboks by applying the correct tactics, and it's not like yeah. this is a sure. secret how you attack them. Like you've you've um, reached the same conclusion as us, Jamie. We were literally discussing this earlier yeah. today that like the All Blacks are essentially just a skill set, which is fantastic to have, you know. But there's not much more substance to it, is there? I said that as well. Like a lot of the the way they're playing is the way teams played for five six years ago mm. and it's not bad now it's just de- you've got defenses that were built specifically yeah. to stop that it's not going to make you the number, te- number one team in the world is it which no. is what the all blacks have endless exactly. p- pressure on them to be and always will do well the 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 general consensus is that the game plan at the moment is simply to just get the ball to their best player which is what you yeah. do when you're a, when you're playing at school <laughs> yeah uh, yeah and that's not going to work at test level and the, the other problem is that they don't really have enough good players to chuck the ball to. There's, they've got... Adi seems to be playing some pretty decent rugby with ball yeah. in hand. I yeah, think definitely. Him, I, think, I think, though, there are some question marks over the rest of his game that kind of get overlooked because of sure. the, the amount of times he runs with the ball. Mm. Um, and you've got Will Jordan, who they, you know, was completely I mean, anonymous. Yeah, his, night, first, like, his first touch was in the second half and he kicked the ball out on the full. Yeah, exactly. He, and, he made and, that and one break, t- but you know that's he, yeah. he runs good lines. He's a very talented player, obviously. Yeah, but it's, you can't build he, your entire game on hoping your winger gets the ball and relying on exactly. you know Bowden Barrett's playing really well. Yeah, I think in like a team that's not playing well at all around him, and and it's kind of really difficult for him to do anything. Yeah, uh, Will Jordan's more great, but he needs Bowden. Yeah, it's all. I don't know. Sorry, yeah. my, my my sorry last last one. Yeah, yeah. is that yeah. My, my main insight on, into into this one is that I think they've made a real selection error at halfback, and it's not because of Smith himself. It's that he doesn't have Weber and Perinara there, basically mm. nipping at his heels, mm. and that he's got these two young guys who are kind of in the happy to be there mode. Sure, yeah. and that he, he needs that pressure applied to him to play his best rugby. And he hasn't been because he's not he's not under that pressure. And I, f- I feel like that's, some, that's probably an area that falls on, obviously falls on the coaches because they should have realized, like, to get the best out of this guy, mm. we need Brad Weber there basically just kind of giving him the side eye at training him and being like, mate, I want you to swap. You know, yeah, yeah. You got, you got TJ there being like, you know, I'm not as skilled a player as you are, but I'm going to absolutely bust my ass mm. to get your spot. And instead, yeah. I feel like at the moment, Smith with Fakatava and Christie there, he's probably become more of a coach himself. You know, sure. yeah, so, yeah. So I, I, that's my sort of thing that I think hasn't really been looked at because I think, yeah, Smith is. I mean, Smith got outplayed by. Fucking Jamison Gibson Park on and during the Irish Cherry. <laughs> yeah, like no disrespect, no disrespect to Gibson Park. Like like that guy has clearly bloody left New Zealand and landed on his feet. Big oh time. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I but, imagine to all the people know, who saw him play ITM Cup rugby, you know, seven years ago, did not think that was going to happen in a Test match. No, not a, not at all. So I mean, that's a bit. That whole thing is a bit of a pretty damning indictment on the whole mm. the, the events of the last. Well, half decade or so, you know. Sure. Yeah. 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 So I we could we could do this all day, but I recognise yeah. we've also got to talk all day about <laughs> New Zealand. No, um, not who New was Zealand. It? Fiji. Yeah, we've Fiji. got you on a waiter for now, Jamie. Uh, 
we've got the most in demand man to talk about the All Black. You were on TV. You were on TV a matter of hours ago. And yet, here we are going to talk about France against Fiji from 1987. Yes, I'm fired up. <laughs> so, this is a quarterfinal. This is, as you mentioned, you know, Fiji's joint best ever World Cup performance. Yep. They beat Argentina to get here, which was a huge win. They threw the game against the All Blacks and somehow <laughs> scrambled through against Italy. Hey, um, they loved the Italy game. They loved it. They had a great time. They were really up for that. Uh, scrambled through into this quarterfinal, whereas France, they had the draw against Scotland. Um, but otherwise, otherwise... They kinda... pissed through. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely pissed through. They just kind of like went, did a proper Gaelic shrug through all these tier two nations, just dawdled yeah. into the quarterfinals. And yeah, through points difference, managed to get the better, the better draw, win the group and end up against Fiji rather than the All Blacks, which is a very preferable draw. Yes. Should we look at the teams before we get into anything sure. deep? Should we run over France quickly? before? I think France is the team to start on, isn't it? Because they go pretty much as you'd expect. Obviously, it's a bit of a shame for Didier Canberra-Berra that you can't find a spot in the <laughs> starting team. But then again, Serge Blanco exists. So you've got him. You've got uh, Denny Charvet moves to the wing with Frank Maynel, who's usually a fly-off coming in at the centre. Yeah, Guy Laporte takes the ten shirt back. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a Jean Condom drops out the team though. That's kind of the one big omission. But yeah, otherwise it's pretty much as you say. You know, Eric Sharp, Daniel Dubrovka, Lauren Rodriguez, kind of the Pasquale Undars, who I, whose name I love. They're kind of the players we've seen over and over again during yeah. this World Cup, and um, they've all played well. They've all just, they're all just bastards. They're all just chain-smoking bastards. I mean, at one point... Actually, well, no, I say one point. They cut up repeatedly to Jacques Foreau, the coach in the stands, who was known <laughs> for chain-smoking through games. They call him the chain-smoking coach at one point. Just for me, for me, um, I'm... I mean, I'm actually really quite familiar with a lot of these, these mm. guys, so it was mm. quite a cool, you know, quite an iconic um, French team and a very iconic jersey as well. Like, love those jerseys. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned Guy Laporte um, before. It's it's funny because my that's my my dad's name's Guy, and that <laughs> was his Guy Laporte was the, his nickname that his friends gave him. So this is quite this is quite cool. I love it. Niche. Sad to report though that Guy passed away earlier this year at the age of sixty nine. Mm. A massive heart attack. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, awful. Yeah, but. Um, but yeah, like Philippe Salah, um, Frank Manel, Serge Blanco, yeah, great. Name. Eric Champ, awesome names, and Daniel Debroker as well. Hard man, yeah. hard man. So mm. enjoying this, enjoying it. Yeah, massively. Uh, also worth mentioning, uh, Guy Laporte, the rugby player, not Guy Laporte, the actor, who rose to fame about the same time from being in a series of films called French Fried Vacation, which was a trilogy of comedy movies about some French people who go on holiday. I think it's like the French carry on from what I can gather or French like holiday on the buses or whatever about just a group who go on holiday and get up to all sorts of mischief and start a guy called Guy Laporte who went on to become be a not that well-known actor in France. <laughs> Is it like there's that, um, I can't remember what it was called, but there's that Irish TV show where canonically the main character was called Tommy Bow, but oh, they never yes. say his surname. Yes. Oh, it was the the program. It had like a where the a weird so the, cartoony best yeah, friend. It was like the main character was like a cartoon boy. That was the imaginary friend 
of yeah this kid of Tommy Tommy Bow. Yes, and like all the other kids in his class were called like Brian and Paul and Ronan, named after Irish rugby players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's a the kid had a big family. Badly drawn Roy, I think it was called. Ten siblings in it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. (laughs) Should we look at the Fiji team? Please. Okay. Well, there's a big change here. There is a big change change here. here. The very top of my notes, I'm showing you now. About a, a third of my page is taken up by just the words "super boot" at ten. A bold, bold decision is made by the Fijian management. Thoughts, gentlemen. Thoughts. Well, I think that I think that Fiji knew that this is obviously do or die, and so they had to <laughs> they had to just make the most drastic and, and obvious call. So yeah, I mean, obviously he was he was thinking about perhaps earning an OBE at some point in the future. <laughs> They've chucked him. They've chucked him in there, and um, I think that also, you know, big. Obviously, they're in the big stadium of Eden Park, and uh, they needed the big boot. True, that's true. He's moving about positions like he one day would villages. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. it st- really stood out to me because the very first frame when you open this video of, of this game is you just see the Fiji team and immediately just glaring at me was 10, Corin Dua Dua. And I thought, holy shit, what are we in for here? And also, like, why would you do that for the quarterfinal? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he had much history playing 10. You know, it's kind of, he's only ever referred to as a fullback or whatever yeah. you read on him. I believe I've this is his first him. test match at 10. Right, he's played okay. at centre before in tests, but I believe this is his first one at 10. It's a bold call to make. But yeah. I deeply respect in a World Cup quarterfinal doing the old gambit of let's just put our best player at ten. Yeah, yeah. It's an old schoolboy rugby tactic, and I'm glad it got brought out in a World Cup. And like, it's it's still very clear in this game that he's definitely a fullback. But I didn't not <laughs> yes, enjoy it, it as a consequence. <laughs> sure, sure, I can go with that. Otherwise, Fiji kind of just shuffle a lot of their team around. Mate, their like, team's they seem mental. To, they seem to pick the same players, but they've just moved everyone. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So they move Collie Rackeroy, captain number eight, into the uh, into the second row, which means they then move Manasa Ngolo, the uh, open side, onto the blind mm. side, and they move their hooker, Navilawasa, onto the open side. And she's like, why are you just playing the same pack, just like backwards? But with the backs as well. So you've got uh, mm. Salazu, 13, who's played wing yeah. previously. Um, Tomasi Farmer playing 12. Tomasi Farmer's at 12 now, having played wing. You kind of, everyone shuffles around. Like Tom Mitchell's at the only wing position. having played centre. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Naulu was playing at centre earlier in the tournament, I think. Yeah. I think is the only position that's played the same one, <laughs> the only guy that's played the same position consistently in their entire team. It's great. Yeah. It, feels, it kind of feels like a club game where they just first jersey you pick out of the bag that's <laughs> yeah. it's a tall match lucky dip yeah <laughs> well, they weren't expected to be out here this long they're slightly yeah. hungover yeah look they had their fun against Italy speaking, oh, speaking of hungover good to see Clive Norling actually made it this time right. <laughs> yeah he turned up he showed did, up did, did, did you guys hear what they said about Clive Norling on commentary Mm-hmm. Before oh, I heard one thing, you go on, you go on. Yeah, that, that I wonder. Go on. Yeah. So before this World Cup started, the last uh, Test match that Clive Norlick officiated was in 1981, and that was mm. between the All Blacks and the Springboks. And it's a game that's quite sort of well documented and quite famous, known as the Flower Bomb Test, 
which was sort of during apartheid. It took it took place in South Africa, and there was a plane just circling the stadium, just throwing flour at it and like smoke bombs and stuff Holy falling shit. down on the players. Yeah. And at one point, I think it was Gary Knight, the All Blacks forward, got hit mm. by a flour bomb while setting for a scrum. Jesus. Yeah, that's that's one of the most famous or infamous All Black, probably the most infamous test match ever played because obviously it was it was subject to a massive anti-apartheid demonstration um, that was going on outside the stadium, which is actually about a three-minute walk from where I am right oh, wow. now. Like wow. where this all where this all happened, I, I walked down every day. Wow. Um, wow! So there was there was a battle going on between the police and protesters that had happened for the whole whole tour, but mm. it absolutely reached its sort of crescendo for mm. this last test because protesters were determined to stop it. And yeah, I mean the game itself went on for I think there was eight minutes of injury time at the end because of all the stoppages from this plane flying mm. over the ground dropping flower bombs. Wow. And you're right, yeah, Gary Knight got hit, and Norling. Uh, is just absolutely pilloried in South Africa because they're convinced that he'd let the game go on as long as it did to let the All Blacks win, and then and then there's a very and they they won by kicking a very debatable penalty at the end, right? And I've always thought that it's actually a real shame that the All Blacks won the game and it should have been a draw because no no one should have won out of that yeah. situation. Like the this yeah. box should never have been here in the first place, and the amount of division that it caused the country at the time wasn't it's not worth because it often gets put into the all black the list of like great all black highlights like oh here's alan houston's winning penalty goal against you it's like we shouldn't be remembering it like that we should sure. be remembering yeah. it as, yeah. as a really a really kind of shameful moment it's ugly uh, isn't it history. and there's if yeah. you search on google or youtube or whatever flower bomb rugby test there are highlights of that game on mm. youtube yeah and i say highlights it's low lights it's you know <laughs> it shows you know everything yeah. happening with all the flower on the pitch there's a point where you see like a ruck setting and there's loads of like magazines and newspapers just flying yeah. past the players yeah so so what was going on outside was there was about i think at five thousand protesters basically having a running battle with the cops up and down this street. Mm. Um, and then all of the local gangs showed up because they were like, oh, this is our chance to have a free hit at the police. Wow. Uh, so that was happening as well. And Clive Norling was right in the middle of it with his little tidy whitey shorts. And Mustache. that's what he remembered. But the thing, sorry, the thing that I want to bring up is that <laughs> he's 37 years old. He looks like <laughs> no. He's carrying, he, yeah, they mentioned it. He goes, 37-year-old Clive Norling of Wales. The guy's got like a keg for a for a gut. <laughs> His hair looks great. Like he's done it. He's got like a perm and everything. But that means in 1981, he was he was only 31. Oh my I'd god. Up thinking, I'd grown up thinking he was like, you know, at least 50 by that stage. Yeah. But I guess that's just what looked like back then. That's incredible. He did have a very fetching mustache though in this game, which is mm. I did see it and it reminded me very much of your own, Jamie. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And I just thought, what a glorious moustache. What a glorious look. I wish I could have pulled it on myself. So basically what Robbie's saying, Jamie, is you look a lot like Clive Norling at the minute. Take that I'm as you will. really sorry. Well, I'm actually I'm actually older than Clive Norling was in this game, so I'll take it. <laughs> you look great, man. You look great. We were all older than Clive Norling was in this game. <laughs> like, <laughs> so. Your, your, your so, one-year-old baby is older than Clive Norling was in this game, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like I said, oh, also that the touchies. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but mm. one of them's got that, that really nice purple Nike tracksuit that I've mentioned okay. in the last pod. The other one doesn't. He's just <laughs> walking, he's walking 
And it's Roger Quittenden and I can't remember the other one. Is it Derek Bevan? Is on the other side? Okay, I think so. I think and so, like probably. the only games I've ever seen from this this World Cup, it's just those three guys. I feel like this whole tournament <laughs> had the same three officials for every game. There's them, and then there's the one like Oxford professor who came out of nowhere for one game. Cambridge, Cambridge, uh, Cambridge, Cambridge. Same thing. Who cares? Uh, yeah, I think they just have like occasionally bring in a session referee alongside mm. these three just rotating. Yeah, somebody calls um, out beforehand and give a whistle to someone in the crowd. You know. Can I offer you something else quickly? Can I interest you in 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 a fact in a story? Yeah. So I'm down for that. Um, I previously mentioned on another episode Wales' World Cup prep, which was basically two sessions, <laughs> two sessions of training, one session on a beach, and a piss up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then they got on the plane. Standard. Yeah. Do you want to know about Fiji's World Cup preparation? Boy, do I. So. Because it was an absolute nightmare to get all the players from different parts of the island over, Fiji only managed to have one full training session with the full squad there. And they had the two coaches, George Simkin, who I think is like, I assume he's like an English language translation of George Skinnan, which that joke is too obscure for even most rugby podcasts. It it Um, will be explained in a future World Cup. Yeah. And Joe Salvalin, who was a a Fijian himself, who was a local boy, uh, whereas George Simkin was a Kiwi who they brought in for the tournament. He's kind of just joined as the Fiji- in the Fijian coaches, the two of them together. And they would, the two of them would kind of go around and meet up with as many players as they could at one time. But they only had one full training session together. And in total, they managed to have about five. And George Simkin was quoted as saying, getting the players together was difficult enough, given they were all out working on different islands. But the next, next task was trying to persuade them to do any work on any kind of forward play. <laughs> they hated it. <laughs> That scans. That does yeah. not surprise me one bit. Looking at, this, I mean, we'll eventually get onto the game, but it really does show. Yeah, all their strength, he went on to say, lay in their lower body. And so while they could run well and had strong muscle definition in their legs, they had nowhere near the upper body strength for the international game and they refused to work on it. <laughs> I think my presumption about them, you know, just pulling the bags, the jersey out of the bags, it might not be too far off. <laughs> <laughs> You can just imagine the coaches trying to assign them positions the day beforehand. Not a chance. Severo no. standing at the back. The rest of us are doing what we like. <laughs> we just want Severo to kick it as much as possible. Everything else, you know what? Who cares? Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. It's um, It really plays into the whole Fijian uh, stereotype of just the boys just want to play. <laughs> and speaking of let them play, should we actually talk about the game? If we must, oh, just one more thing. One more thing, mm, just real please. quick, because I'm I'm real big on this this topic. Uh, is um, obviously they hadn't rugby hadn't got to the point where you line up for the anthems yet, so there is yes. a little huddle. Oh yes, but I love it how I love it how France just they're not even in a huddle; they're just in this big bunch where they're all just sort of lead, put, got their chins on each other's shoulders and like yeah. packed in really tightly. Like I, I I thought it was great, and and it looked really really you know fearsome, and obviously yeah. the French national anthem very fearsome national mm. anthem and i thought this is well they should bring this back but then they all it like they chucked in a, a reprise at the end and, yeah. the, and they all stood up and then all had to go back together again <laughs> I, I i enjoyed that bit that was cool. that was that's my favorite bit of the whole game i was really <laughs> wondering what was going on there because there was somebody in the middle of this french so-called huddle mm. looking slightly sleepy and i was wondering what's going on there and then they sort of split off and then come back together again, as you say. I thought that two players were getting in a fight. 
but now I realise you're right. It's that they extend, extended the anthem. Yeah, yeah. They, they weren't expecting the anthem. They kind of walk off thinking it's over. And, and then there's a massive camera crew. There's a massive camera oh. crew surrounding France. And when they split off, they kind of get in. And I would not be surprised if one of the camera crew got accidentally tied up and in, into the anthem. They pulled huddle. one of the jerseys out at the start and just took a yeah. number. The, the media is absolutely chaotic for this. Like, they, there's like... 40 of them out on the field for a for a game in Auckland between France and Fiji. I don't know where the hell they've all come from. Like, you don't get anywhere near that sort of presence in a game these days. And there's no restrictions on where they can go at all. Which yeah. Is just awesome. Yeah. Let Do me you tell think... you, there was more of them on the pitch than there were in the crowd. <laughs> just oh, the yeah. Sh- yeah, Just... Nisbo's really unhappy about the turnout. <laughs> I'm not sure why. I think Nisbo's been flyering before the game. <laughs> and clearly no one's taken them mm, exactly clearly no one's headed in Go so on. it is the the crowd is officially twelve thousand, but no it's not no it's not there's pro it looks like there's maybe like five thousand there probably most of them behind on the side we can't see from the camera angles yeah but again for a world cup quarterfinal and this could have been a game the all blacks were playing in potentially at eden park but then we keep saying this over the whole tournament. Sure. Not quite as much as Grant Nisbet does, but... Also, a couple of things I noticed. Firstly, both captains run out with a ball. So I wonder which one they use. Huh. Other thing, Fiji do the thimby in the French half. And it's noted on the commentary that's the, that France are the first team to watch Fiji doing their war dance. Right, Grant? And then Grant Nisbet just says nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that though that there is a little bit of an explanation for this. I think that this was around the first time where the All Blacks and then therefore Fiji, Samoa, mm. and Tonga in games they played actually started doing like it was an official thing that they did before game. Mm. So I I, I won. I'll I'll cut the other teams a bit of slack because they probably didn't know what was going on. And remember in that last game we watched with the All Blacks lined up to the hucker and the Fijians didn't even really sort of they just lined up for for a kickoff. Mm. Yes, so no one, had, no one had got used to the idea that this was going to happen before every game. Yeah. Mm. So good on France for actually remembering it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They clearly learned and watched some of the games, unlike anyone in the stands. It's it's interesting because you look at the 2011 final and their way of intimidating the opposition was to march towards them in this weird arrowhead thing that no one understands. And this time the way to intimidate the opposition is by respecting their war dance tradition. <laughs> More of it. Rugby values. Yeah, get under their skin early, fellas. Get under their skin. Enjoy it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
The first note I have on the game is mm. leather off it, which refers to Fiji's tactics that become very evident very quickly. My first note is, good God, this is shit. <laughs> yeah, no, that... that... I, uh, I I was kind of like, maybe this is son of my age, but I was kind of impressed at the sort of the way that they went about it to start off with. Like, yeah, the, the passage of play actually went on for a while you know like it was i mean maybe it's just me because the last game i watched fiji play in this world cup they <laughs> clearly weren't trying at all yeah. so it was kind of nice to see them actually you know attempting to play rugby this time sure around. Yeah. yeah i also think so, i was yeah. referring to that first drop goal attempt which gets oh, absolutely right. oh, skied as well yeah and he tried it from like from the wing like on the touchline about 45 meters out and it's <laughs> Ambitious is one word for it. Knockout international rugby is a new concept here, right? Yes. Like this is the second knockout international indeed, game. Indeed, indeed. And so a lot of these players have really limited experience of playing finals and stuff because there was no European yeah. final at this point. I know certainly the English league didn't have a final, didn't have anything like that. Didn't even yeah. really have a league structure until this year, until 87. And I think the French was the same. So a lot of these players have never played a knockout game before. Like, this is a kind of completely new experience. So he's probably yeah. gone, like, right, okay, let's just try drop goals all the time. Sure, they give it a go. See what happens, you know, like where points absolutely matter more than ever. It's interesting you say that. I genuinely reckon if this game was drawn, they wouldn't have known what the protocol was. They would have just gone, I don't know, fellas, why don't you go just decide among yourselves? They'd yeah. probably, yeah, they probably wouldn't have had a protocol, but Serge Blanca would just turn up at the semi final. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd just be like, oh, okay, I guess so. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the The second note I have is Jesus Christ, super boot, because he just twats the ball miles. Like the first time he gets it, he sends it about ninety meters down the field and looks so casual in the way he does it. It's just, it was just great to have our last game of super boot, and he does what he does best, very first thing. And I think from a lineout about that point, Grant Nisbet says the lineout battle is going to be intense this afternoon. When it is just tall men flailing. It is just come and it, it to be fair, as lineout battles in eighty seven go, it is intense because both teams are kind of knocking it on into each other all the time because they're both kind of tall and waving. I, I never pay attention to who's throwing in anymore on these games. No, no the, the whole the whole lineout situation just even involving uh you know top level teams is still a complete fucking lottery. It, it, <laughs> It's, it's it never goes further than the number the guy who's jumping at number four in the lineout and it yeah I I, don't, I think that you know once South Africa actually came back into into rugby in a few years time after this and taught everyone how to what was then cheating by by lifting at the lineout like mm. that, that's probably the most important development in the game um, yeah. that we've seen uh, that, that sort of moved it towards professionalism because. Yeah, before then, it was pretty much just you could base an entire game plan around just kicking for touch and then, you know, rolling the dice when when the ball would get thrown in. And then even if you lost it, the ball would be so messy for the opposition halfback mm. you'd get thrown and just smack him anyway. But we've seen it in a couple of games, like the um, pretty much every game Japan have played, the opposition have known they're going to win the ball back. So they haven't minded just walking into touch, never mind kicking it into touch, because, you know, they didn't have a very tall pack. 
And as you say, yeah, it, it makes such a difference on how the game is seen, perceived, the, you know, and the ability to actually control possession, the lifting lineouts and more controlled lineouts can give you. Um, <laughs> Fiji almost score an incredible try at the start, where <coughs> they just they offload absolutely everything, very much proving what you were saying earlier about them not caring about anything other than offloads. It is eventually disallowed for a super boot forward pass, uh, which... Debatable. Very debatable. Look, Clive Norling, who asked you? Look, here's the thing, right? It probably is forward, but so are half the passes we've seen in half the tries in this tournament. I don't think it's that forward that you should disallow it. The other passes aren't given by the greatest player I've ever seen. So just let the man be. That is true. That is true. true. It was weird when Jonathan Spratt turned up playing for Fiji. But all the same. Uh, Superboot does go briefly down injured and my heart was in my mouth at that point. Thinking, am I going to have to watch the rest of this goddamn oh, game without my favourite player? I was skipping over the injury and then I noticed who it was and I had to skip back and watch him lie <laughs> on the floor injured. Just out of respect. You yeah. know, if Jamie's willing to drive an hour and a half to try and find him. I am willing to watch a minute of him being injured. <laughs> he immediately yeah, yeah, gets back up to his feet and misses a drop kick from about 50 yards. It's like, oh, our boy's fine. He's okay. Jamie, what did you make of watching Superboot himself? Bloody Superboot himself. Oh, bloody. I mean, it was, like I said, like I actually knew who he was before. Mm. You know, we, we, you know he, he is reasonably well known um, mm. in this this part of the world. So mm. I think I never, I, ha- I didn't know enough about him to know that like his whole thing was that he was, you know, he had this huge boot. Like I just remember his name. So to actually see him like kicking the ball and be like, oh, okay, fuck, that's why he's called, that's why he's called that. Cause he's killing off like 60 meter touch finders. Um, mm. And also doing it in the old school way by teeing the ball up by going to touch. Like, yeah. like they, should, they should definitely bring that back. That he, because you always look at these games and you're like, oh, I wonder if any of these guys could kind of make it today. And I'm like, well, that's one skill set that translates perfectly to today. Yeah. You know, like he has a selling if point. You actually, if you actually sent him to the gym and did his, got him to do his upper body like um, <laughs> we mentioned before, then he could at least sit at the back of a team and just be a be a guy that's just blasting them out of trouble all, yeah. all day, kicking 60-meter penalty, penalty goals. So... Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. I'm like my mind's racing. Of like, damn! If only you'd been born twenty years later, we could have yeah. seen you up super rugby or something. That would have been amazing. Yeah, see him and Serevi cutting it up together in a back three. Yes, oh, please, mate. And thou, thou, yeah. If only we just got oh. more footage of him. Like, there's only really oh. the two World Cups he played in. Well, funny, funny story because I told you about how I was talking to people in Fiji, right? About. Mm-hmm. Fijian rugby and then because the the Pacific Nations Cup was on and they were, mm. the Fijian team lost the I think they lost the final to Samoa so I was mm. watching that I was watching at a bar with other Fijian fans and and so we're having conversations about the Fijian national team and like the level of angst towards Ben Volavola is huge like they all hate him they think he's, they think he's just a pretty boy who can't tackle and and everything like that and I'm like well. Okay, but who are you going to replace him with? Like, who's here in Fiji mm. that you're going to is going to take a spot? No one could answer that question. Like, they were like, "Oh, you know, there'll be, there'll be someone, there'll be someone." And I'm like looking at Superboot, going like, "There's the guy you need. You just needed him. You needed Superboot, Superboot Junior to come in and like rescue this team." Look, I've seen sports movies. 
we can get a how old is Superboo right now? Superboo is currently 61. We could get 61. a 61-year-old Samara Corridua doer. Some security guard from just outside Sova. Bring him in. Bring him in. Why not? Yep. It's a classic sports movie move. And I know that everything, like sports movies, right, there will be a bit where they lose one of the, the last pool game, looks like they're not going to go through, then they will, then they'll go on and win the World Cup. That's what's yeah. going to happen. I've seen sports movies. I know what happens, right? This is go. This is how it's going to work. It has to. Put I now realise. Put a 61-year-old in at play off. This is Look, why we said Clive Norley can referee this, and yeah. he can claim he's yeah. 37. Cora Dua Dua can claim he's 37. That's fine. This is going to be fine. Get him in the team. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Absolutely. I mean, the whole point of the podcast, right, was to somehow like just go back and scout so we can then invent a time machine to bring forward the players from these sort of teams that would help these teams nowadays, right? Like that's, that's... the next logic step, right? That's it. That's it. That's it. Because, you know, half of this team have sons who play for the current team, but the other half we just need to bring forward. Yeah. Yeah. Starting with you, Severo. How angry are people about Van Volavola? Because he seems like such a tap water player that I can't imagine feeling strongly in any direction. I think there's just like a real old school feeling that he's just too good looking. Um, <laughs> that they've got this kind of hang up on uh, on uh, they're all still hanging on to the 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 uh, the fact that Nicky Little was like mm. their for ages and they've, they've mm. been wanting a replacement for Nicky Little who was like you know fundamentally sound big guy who could you know make his tackles and stuff Yeah, sure. and I've wanted a replacement for him ever since and Ben Volleyball seems to be like kind of the opposite of that and they've, sure. they've kind of gone away which is funny because I'm like wait so you want like a f- flying Fijians team that can score these great tries and be play the sort of rugby that Fiji's famous for but you want a slightly ponderous, technically sound first first five. I and and they were like, because I think they look at New Zealand and mm. they go, Oh, we, we want like a, a, a game manager. Yeah. There. We need someone with a cool head to, you know, kick goals and make runs. And so I mean it it kind of makes sense. But I'm like, Volvo's not that bad. Like you know, no. for a you know, for an international first five playing behind a tank playing behind a pack that's gonna be under pressure. Quite a bit. Yeah. I rate Volavola. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, well <laughs> they don't. <laughs> um, they, yeah, I didn't meet one Ben Volavola fan while I was there. But I think wow, I think basically really yeah, what it comes down to is that he's a pretty boy, and that they yeah. just don't they just don't like that. I he's remember Spencer, because because the same thing happened in New Zealand when Carlos Spencer first showed up. It was just mm-hmm. like a lot of it was just down to the fact that like old old school rugby guys were just like, nah, you're too pretty to to be in the All Blacks, which is a strange See, way of looking at it. Whereas the UK media still hangs on to Johnny Wilkinson as the greatest player that's ever lived because he was handsome. Yeah. Owen Farrell ain't got nothing on him. I bet it took you a long time to get convinced by Dan Carter, in fairness. Extremely good looking, very boring. Yeah. Um, no, interesting because I think Carter kind of grabbed everyone's uh respect kind of straight away because he was really good straight away and he sure he'd only been he was young and he mm. just sort of come into the team and it was a period when if you were debuting for the all blacks you were gonna get an absolute armchair ride like through your mm. first two seasons yeah. and then one of his you know his he got his kind of career defining moment quite early in his career against the lions and so yeah. after that it was like well, this this kid is like everything that we're 
we're after. Sure. Yeah. So. So I mean, you know, he 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 had obviously had the pretty boy tag around him, but he, because he could back it up um, mm, by, yeah. by doing that. So yeah, I think it was, yeah, it's probably more it's probably more um, apt to compare Volleyball to Carlos. Yeah, I'm also now just dreaming of a Fiji team with Stephen Myler at ten. <laughs> he's he's a very much a pretty boy. Is one captain yeah. and fly off <laughs> Stephen Myler. Also, Stephen Myler. Older than Clive Norling. <laughs> Older than Clive Norling now. Yeah, yeah, and yet still perfectly rock solid in professional level fly halves. Yeah, you can still boot the leather off it. So, should we should we crack on with the game? Yes, because Fiji, what a try they score early on. Unkaro scores the try in the end. It starts with Nawalu getting the ball sort of in the backfield and doing this insane silky run where he doesn't look like he's making any ground, but he steps about nine people and then feeds Tom Mitchell on the right, who, it turns out, is the fastest man in the world. Yeah. yeah. So this try reminds me of, like, you know when... I, I think they're far more common in New Zealand from what I what I see of the media, but you see them still occasionally over here. Like, when you see, like, a bank advert that has a rugby scenario in it as a metaphor, sure. right... And someone scores the greatest try of all time. It's scored by an actor with other actors diving over in the background. That's what this try looks like. It looks like you have some sort of like like tagline playing along the top, like a voiceover going, I need a, a bank that's lightning fast and always has someone in support. You know, as, as you see this guy, you see Mitchell like hairing up the touchline and then getting the inside pass. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's too good. It's too yeah. glorious. Like it, it looks fictional. It looks staged. It's exactly. It's, it's exactly the way I I saw it as well because I I had absolutely no knowledge of this game before mm. I'd, I'd I'd seen it um, last night, and I I had no idea what to expect. And so to see a try of that, yeah, like you said, sort of almost cinematic <laughs> um, quality was was pretty amazing because I yeah, like you said, I just love the way that Mitchell just takes the outside just goes cruising up the touchline and then a, a, a very Fijian thing to do is the old you know just I'm gonna pass it and it's just gonna just sit there in mid-air yeah. for someone else come and hit just yeah. come and hit him on the chin that's such a Fijian thing of the of the time it sort of caught on a little bit later on but you saw in that first movement how like the passes weren't to people they just popped up so someone mm. could get over it and get it, um, which is, which is a really nice one. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't pass to somebody. He just trusts that somebody yeah. will eventually run onto it. Yeah. And Ungarolo times his run onto that pass beautifully and dives over in the corner. And yeah, it's, it's a wonderful try to start the game off. It's not and, then, and then there's, there's three three Fijian blokes in the crowd who are up like cheering and they look mm. like the most 1980s guys ever. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. What I love as well is like as soon as that try goes in, Fiji again, as we see every single time they score the first try in the world in this World Cup, is they immediately come back and they start running it again. And I loved mm. it because we've looked at France all tournament and they've been scoring these really flashy tries. And then Fiji's gone, no, 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 this is how you play flair rugby, lads. And the amount of it's going to sound silly, but like the amount of passes they're making, yeah, like you see a lot of players in this World Cup <clears throat> who just run as far as they can and lob it randomly. And Fiji, every player's first instinct isn't to run, it's the pass. 
Yeah. And so mm. there's a few points, I think there's an attack they have shortly after this try, where two players just give early balls and they just give it early to someone quicker outside them. And they mm. just keep going and they have this amazing continuity to their play. And France are playing really quick rugby as well, but it's a very different style to what Fiji are doing, which is it's built around that continuity and that kind of putting the ball into space and that that passing, that handling stuff. I, it's really exciting to watch consistently. Beautiful, and like, yeah. we can make fun, and we've done a lot of it on the podcast, of, you know, standard and whatever. But like, I don't care when I'm watching Fiji yeah, play this Because well. it's enjoyable, Like, isn't it's it? great. There's so much fun to watch. There's... And I don't, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sniffy at all about any of it. No. Like there, maybe the defense wasn't great. Who gives a shit? Look how well they're playing and how much fun they're having, and and the sheer quality and style of it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And it was like what I was saying before, like how my my immediate impression of the at least the first sort of twenty minutes, half an hour of this game was that like, well, this is pretty good. You know? <laughs> yeah, like this, is, this is better than what I what I thought it was going to be, and it's because yeah, of yeah. the attitude, which is yeah. Again, I have to reiterate. A completely the opposite of, of the last game where I watched, where they just simply didn't want to be there at all. Yeah. So yeah. maybe maybe that, that's why you know. But but it, it's really cool to like you said that the first instinct is to pass, but and just pass to space and trust their guys to get there, which yeah. is um, which is something that obviously after this World Cup they become really known for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love this game. And th- like, there's just after this try, Ndolo goes off the field and comes straight back on about yeah. a minute later, apparently having had a dislocated finger, which they then Jesus. sorted out on the sideline. And first thing when he comes back on the field is he steals a line out, makes a break, does an offload, and Nawalu volleys it. And it's just like, yeah, yes. I'm so here for this. Because there's a so there's a key there's a there's a Frenchman going for the intercept, mm. and instead he just volleys it out of his hand before yeah. he can catch it. It's great rugby. That's how you do it. It's it's like in a fighting game when you do the perfect counter, you know, <laughs> before the intercept, just boot it downfield and chase it. That's how you stop that happening. After this, France get the ball like in an attacking position for pretty much the first time. And there's a certain point in the attack <laughs> where Philip Seller gets the ball and you think like, oh, okay, he's going on a bit of a mazy run here. Like, this is surely going to eventually, in about three minutes' time, end up with him crossing the try line and putting it down. Because he runs in that many different directions, but evades people left, right and centre. And then he gets <laughs> close to the post and gets absolutely decked by his own flanker, Eric Chomp. This run, this run is another one of my favourite parts of the game. Yeah. After the <laughs> French line, French thinking that the, the anthem's over when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And my other favourite moment from the game is, uh, <coughs> I mean, one of them's coming up, but, yes. um, and we'll get to that. One of my favourite moments of the game is they randomly cut away to a pink panther wearing the French kit. Like, <laughs> like you know, the, 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 the pink panther from the cartoon yeah. wearing the French kit. And it's just sits there in silence. There isn't even a moment where like Grant Nisbet gives droll commentary, goes like, oh, an unlikely fan for the French team, or oh, you know, none of that kind of like standard banter that like Nick Mullins makes on a weekly basis. None of that. They just kind of show in silence this very somber looking pink panther in a full France kit. And then they cut back to the line out the setting. <laughs> and huge fan of that moment. Huge fan of that bit. Uh, but yeah, my, one of my other favourite moments is this Philippe Seller run. because <laughs> So Philippe Seller throws a dummy at first and he kind of goes through a little gap. He then goes to throw another dummy and the player kind of like basically looks at him and like shakes his head like, no, I don't want it. 
And so he looks in the other direction to pass, and the other guy's kind of almost gets handled like, no, not me, not me this time, lad. So he kind of keeps running, he keeps running in different directions, like looking around for someone to pass to. And all of his teammates are kind of going like, no, nah, no, fans, I'm sitting this one out. Like, I'm having a smoke break, got one, got a pack off the coach. And he's kind of like, I need someone, I can't do this on my own. And he comes pretty close, considering all his teammates are going for a little lie down. <laughs> Yeah, there's a. Um, I think not long after that, there's a sweet head-high tackle on the yeah. sideline that would be like five red cards th- these <laughs> days, and the and this one just resulted in a line out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, lineouts and scrums at these points, we very quickly learn. Oh, oh, okay, this is where France are going to win the game. Uh, it's it's Laurier who drives over for the, their first try of the game. And it's yeah, like, from oh, okay. knocking it on on the floor yeah, at the end yeah. of that run. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. So Fiji have taught them a lesson in flair, which is how they've been playing all of their games so far in the World Cup. But it's like, oh, right. France are actually really good at this bit where you drive over, aren't they? Yeah. And they, they score that, that early try just to drive over from, I believe he carries off the back of the scrum, right? Yeah. Just dives over from like an inch out. Like kind of just dive sideways a bit. Yeah. Like simple, well taken, proper number eight try. Kind of not that much more to say about it, but yeah, well taken by Rodriguez, who Grant Nisbet gives an incredible stat about him. Did you did you hear this? No. So Rodriguez goes into this tournament as number eight, right? And you're kind of like, okay, cool, good, good for him, great for him. He's number he's just the French number eight, right? He had almost 50 caps at the time, he had like 48 caps at this point. <laughs> However, they had come across seven different positions. And over his career, he played seven of the eight forward positions and started for France. He played both props, both locks, both flanks, and number eight. The only forward position he didn't play, he never won a cap starting in, was hooker. Wow, that's impressive. I've had this conversation before of trying to find the player who's worn the most unique number jerseys in international mm-hmm. rugby because I've always held the had the suspicion that it's Mario Bergamasco who's played six seven wing uh scrum off and then he would have pl- covered everywhere on the bench as well yeah but but I think Rodriguez possible he takes it yeah it's entirely possible he is the guy that's that's unbelievable that's like you know how I made a joke about them pulling jerseys out of the bag earlier now there's another <laughs> so like yeah no this is actually how they coach teams back then but <laughs> yeah. take your fuck man but to be to play to play prop and lock like lock and loose forward okay yeah. that makes sense but to play lock and prop wow okay looking even at in, his even in these days uh because you know obviously they're not the same body shape they are now but if you yeah. look at a prop from then and a lock they are still the fundamentals are still the same. Yeah, one's yeah. tall and one's tall. There's okay. He only played loose head. I've only said sorry. Only seen tight head when I'm looking through his list of games. According to Grant Nisbet, he played all seven. So I don't know if he moved across or shuffled around there. Sure. Or it might be listed incorrectly on a team sheet somewhere. Um, Just as impressive. But still, but still, as you say, yeah, having games at lock and front row. That's insane. At some point, though, surely, surely. You just ask, you know, when they're playing those games against like Zimbabwe, you'd go, can I just play hooker? Just once. Yeah, yeah. You just want to complete the set. I will say, he must have played shit in one of those games. <laughs> yeah. 
Surely. <laughs> They're dropping him very slowly backwards. Yeah, yeah. They were just learning where he actually can play. It all well. I mean, yeah. Now I'm starting to think like instead of that making him a good player, it might make him actually quite a shit player because it's like <laughs> well, you're no good there. We'll try over there, and then, you know. I, I always tell people take... I've played everywhere in the backs. You know, there's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for him to play ten. He's just what he's moving towards. <laughs> there's a point where Fiji get a penalty inside the French twenty-two, and they set up this insane tap move, and they have everyone <laughs> flying around Nawalu in different directions. He just taps it and gives it to Superboot, and that's the end of the move. They take it 10 metres back from where the kick was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we think. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, this must be an insane move they're about to do. And he said, yeah, they give it to Superboot, who dummies a drop goal and doesn't go for it. And then throws it over the top. And then it looks like, I think it's Tomasi Farmer, throws the pass. It looks like Mitchell's going to take it. He drops it because he'd be in if he takes that ball. Mm. It feels like the rugby equivalent of like the ball hitting the post in football of kind of like a real near miss that then disappears and fades sure. into nothing. And I kind of uh, feel like I kind of feel like if they'd got that, we might have ended up having a, a different result. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a few moments like they're that. In, they're like very much, they're, they're, it's a very open game, but they're, they're really in it. At yeah. yeah. At this and I but, think, well, obviously, we, you know, we're running through the game chronological order largely, but... France run away with it a bit in the second half. They kind of have a period where France, well, Fiji switch off a bit. And you wonder if they're ahead in the same way happened against Italy and Argentina, where they got ahead early on. They scored some tries early on and they just stayed with it and they didn't drop out in this way. And I wonder, as you say, like, would this have happened if they'd scored two quick tries and they'd been potentially 12 free up? Sure. Yeah. yeah Superboot gets a couple of penalties in the first half, uh, which, you know, is nice to see. Nice to see him getting on the board. There's a point where Grant Nisbet says, France clearly have been looking at and um, copying some of the All Blacks moves. That was their old lefto move they've used there. And the oh, move was yeah. literally get the ball from a scrum and run to the left. Yeah, you'd be shocked to find out that in New Zealand uh, growing up, um, <clears throat> there's another version of that move and it's called righto. No! <laughs> yeah, and every single team uses it. And ev- also every single team has that I've ever played in has a move called 89. And you can guess what that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the interesting thing, though, is that because we're on the other side of the world, uh, actually, for lefto over here is running right, and running righto over here is running left. (laughs) Exactly. And Uh, then in France, it's even the other way around because they drive on the other side of the road. (laughs) It's really confusing. They have uppo and downer, who, yeah. It's so confusing. We once had it, I remember a few years ago, that we introduced a, you know, just a general midfield scrum. You go eight, nine, fullback. And it was like, what should we call this move? And some genius said, let's just call it ENF. And it's like, that's perfect. The the opposition will be scratching their heads thinking, what could that stand for? Eight, nine, fullback. Perfect. It sounds like a furniture shop. Exactly. Exactly. It's already in the opposition's head because they're thinking about furniture instead of tackling. My favourite thing that the co-commentator... Is it Earl again? I'm not sure. Uh, um, Graham Thorne. Uh, Graham Thorne. No, it's, thank you. Yeah, it's Graham Thorne. Yeah, you, um, I'm sure you guys discussed him in depth before, but um, I, I should just I just want to point out that he was the first ever former All Black to actually get into commentary. Really? Right. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was very he was in the same team as Ilkin. So he's right. from that that era. Um, right. And he. He ended up going and playing in South Africa after the All Blacks toured there in 1970. Which, wow. 
wonder if says a bit about his work called like why would you want to move to South Africa in the 1970s? But anyway, he did. Yep. And um he actually played in a couple of Springbok trials and almost made the Springboks. Wow. But yeah, so he, he was there for a good decade or so. So yeah. That's, that's but, I mean very unique. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think his 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 co commentary here is actually yeah, yeah, bad. I like it. Like, I, I yeah, definitely it. a lot less uh, kind of it comes off as a lot less institutionally racist as um, Bill Curtin <laughs> and Mark Keller. Mark, oh, oh, mate. Yeah, there's a few. Um, there's a few kind of. Um, there's at least one mention of a. Oh, this is the way these people like to play, um, which is like. Oh, God. But, um, but yeah, but he's still he's still around. He's still alive. Hmm. So. No, I've, yeah. I've warmed to Graham Thorne as the tournament's gone yeah. on. Yeah, and he's kind of, to the extent that it is possible, attempting analysis in here. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah, I yeah. quite enjoyed. It At seems a sense he, of humour as well. Yeah, on the, the, the first try, the Ngoro try, he explains what the different camera angle is and that we're showing it from the other side of the ground. Yes. Because action replays are quite a new thing. And I quite enjoyed that. I was quite into that. But my favourite my favorite thing he talks about is he tries to talk us through the French defensive system, which is to focus on the player with the ball. Mm-hmm. I love it when he says, France are now learning that if you don't tackle the Fijians, they're going to keep on running. <laughs> hey, it's good of them to learn. Like, they've learned that about other teams in the past. They've, learned it, about Fiji they've learned it in the quarterfinal. And you know what? Better late than never. <laughs> Does that more or less bring us to the end of the first half? Oh wait, Rodriguez scores. Oh no, 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 no. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, no, but there is, there is right at the end of the first half, there is a move that I love a lot, where one of the Fijians finds himself on the right hand side of the field or the righto, as you may call it, and he goes for. And we heard in a USA game before various commentators talking about oh yes, gridiron passes. And bloody Fiji do one. He just like takes it in one hand, lobs it sideways as far as he can, NFL style, over the top. Yeah, they fling it on to Tom Mitchell, who, again, takes someone on the outside, burns around them and tries to get the final pass in, but it doesn't go to hand. And I think that brings down, oh, that come, you know, France regather and that's kind of Fiji's last opportunity to the half. But, oh, that was fun. Oh, that was nice. Oh, I made a noise. I actually think I watched that first half in the office while you were still here, Will. And I did a little laugh. I did a little giggle at that. Mm, I recall. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the last thing to happen in the half is Rodriguez scores that try from short range. And it's very much the same theme as the other two tries they've scored. Yeah. Um, drive over from short range and Fiji just do not have the strength to hold them out. Yeah. Yeah, Rodri- um, Superboot also takes a shot from about the Iberian Peninsula as well, <laughs> uh, right before the end of the half. Yeah, he misses, but it's a beauty anyway. I was going to say he took it from Sandringham Road, which is um, the road obviously behind the stadium, which is a general <laughs> kind of uh, thing you talk about when someone's taking a long shot at Eden Park. But yeah, Iberian Peninsula, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's a great local knowledge joke. I, w- yeah, I yeah. wish I could have appreciated it. You know, so there's a there's, um, there's a there's a gas station across the road. For, so obviously behind right. the, on the western side, there's Eden Park Number Two, which is a cricket a cricket field. Okay, and so you you'd probably see it, but like before big test matches, when they chuck a drone up, you'll see it. It's a mm. very small cricket field. Like I I feel like if I was to have a bat there, I could probably get a half century simply by edging it over the boundary. And and it's known derisively as the forecourt because you have this gas station across the road and it's in every single shot. And so it's this free advertising for mobile. 
because they have this. Yeah, they, they, you can you can read the petrol prices on the on the on the oh, board from, oh, wow. every, from every from every shot that sort of goes that goes that way. So yeah, if you if you're kicking from kicking from the forecourt, that means you're having a having a decent shot at goal from at Eden Park. Nice. Okay, I have heard that. I have heard that and never questioned it. This is why we get you on, Jamie. We we learn so much. Toman Park, also a ground right next to a petrol station. Ah. Yeah, there's a just a fun fact for you. I've been there once, walked past the petrol station. A lot of people stop off to get a pasty, walk by on the way back. They were out. They had nothing. It's a boring anecdote for you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Appreciate uh, it. So just, coming... just, another, just another word on <clears throat> Eden Park, just while we're, mm, while yes. we're at it. Obviously... Obviously, it has been completely rebuilt since this day, and that you know, obviously, you can see the terracing uh, behind the mm. the east stand, which was like a real feature of it. That's all obviously seated now, but yeah, it's really wild to see it with not that many people in it as well. Because you can see just how cruddy and old school it was, and that it's yeah. not really a stadium. Just it's just four separate stands that are built built there. And I was lucky enough to be able to go to it. Oh, nice. Um, when it was still in the in the state back in the nineteen nineties, and you, if you had tickets to one stand, you could only go into that stand to get there. And if you wanted right. to go to the other stand, walk out onto the road, walk right around someone's house, and then go in go on the other side. But it's still like to me, like this is the Eden Park that I kind of grew up looking at, and it's kind of cool just to see how shit else it, it, it used to be. <laughs> like I'm. And like how you've got that horrible little—it's kind of like there's a stand in the in the in the northwest corner, which mm. is just like a temporary stand that got built that never got taken down. Right. And yeah, yeah, I just I I love just how ramshackle the whole thing is because right now, like you know, Eden Park is actually quite a nice nice ground to go to. Yeah. Like hopefully mm. you guys come down come down and I'll, I'll take you there one day. But yeah, they they rebuilt the whole thing. Like so, at one point there was. Uh, each stand at Eden Park was built in a different decade at, like, before, oh, wow. they, before they completely bowled it and, and rebuilt it for wow. the 2011 World Cup. So, yeah, but it is still very much in like a suburban, you know, an Auckland suburb. So there are still houses like on the other side of the road wow. of it. You know, there's people, you know, have to put up with, you know, drunken rugby fans coming out and pissing on their lawn every Saturday night, et cetera. So, so yeah, like I said, this is this is kind of cool to see it like this in, in the daytime and you know with the long shadows and yeah. and yeah. And just and just on halftime, like I love it how the French just all just get in a get in a circle and sit cross legged on the ground. Yes. <laughs> what is that? Like a primary school trip. Yeah. Like they're gonna get the packed lunches out. Yeah, and sing hymns together. Yeah. Yes, uh, I, I also I also noticed that's incredible. With the second half starting, there's a point where Guy Laporte knocks over a penalty at the start, and you go, "Oh my god, they're 22 points to seven up," and you don't mm. realise quite how big the gap is between these two until that point. Yeah, because it feels quite even because Fiji are at least getting close to scoring. They're playing the ball in hand stuff, aren't they? Mm. Um, you know, France are driving over, which is of course. Just as legitimate, you know, like it's if not well, more so with the way that they're going over. So you kind of like it's easier to kind of compartmentalize what Fiji is doing as as if as though they're scoring because sure, you're making yeah. so many breaks that get you out of your seat that you think they're a bit yeah. more in the game than they are. 
And also just not having a scoreboard in the corner means that you're not yeah. thinking about that the whole yeah. time. True, very true. <laughs> it makes a big difference on how you watch the game. Yeah. Tell you what, start of the second half, Serge Blanco becomes super boot. Yep. Suddenly he spends the first 10 minutes of this half just constantly pegging France back, just standing on the edge of his 22 and kicking it 60 metres well into the Virginian half. Yeah, and... <sighs> I mean, he starts to kick very well. And then Superboot starts to just open up the bag of tricks at that point. And he's suddenly holding the ball one-handed and waving it all about. He goes for this lovely sort of cross chip at one point, which nearly works out for Fiji. There's... Should we talk about the thing with Superboot that happens? Well, I mean, so straight beforehand, his rival, Serge Blanco, blows a try. Where he he makes a break on the outside and he has Denis Chauvet racing up alongside him. And he just pa- he just chucks it in front of him. He just like roll under this, then mate. It's yeah. the opposite of what you were saying about the front, the Fijian players just hanging it in the air for someone to run onto. Yes. He just chucks it. And just like mm, deal with that. It's yeah. very that's your Blanco problem now. Kinda, exactly. Like I've done my job. Yeah. I don't care what happens now. I, I have written him in Dick of the Day category with funny rubbish forward pass. So, <laughs> yep, that deals with that. But yes, that then leads us on to on halfway. The incident. Yeah, uh, so, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring it up, but I guess we have to. We have to talk about it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Be remiss um, of us not. You know. It, I think it's weirdly kind of the most famous moment from this game. It's it's the one that when I mentioned this game on Twitter, most people were replying mentioning. It's the one I'd heard about in advance, and it's I was also, not aware of this. Really? Yeah. So, so it it broke my heart because I started celebrating at one point. So Kumbu gets the ball, hits the line. Kumbu, who had a really good game, I think. Yeah, yeah. Really, really exciting. And feeds the ball inside. And I go, hang on a minute. Is that a fullback slash tens line from our boy Superboot? And he, he runs and he runs and he's going down that wing. And I, I start celebrating. I was like, yes, we're getting a Superboot try in our last outing with him in this World Cup. And he goes and bloody drops the ball about three metres out, doesn't he? Yeah, I watched both angles on this, frame by frame. And he is running with the ball in one hand, like Leonie Nakarawa style as a kind of modern example of kind of just like in one mitt, not tucked under his arm, in his yeah, hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Forget one hand on the ball. He has about two fingers on it. Yeah, and it is in his hand, in his hand, in his hand. Then as he's kind of like pumping his arms, as he raises them up again. No, written on my uh, notes there. <laughs> It just flies out of his hand, forward, into touch. Chance gone. He is completely unopposed otherwise. It's heartbreaking. I've I've got in my notes what the fuck Superboot because <laughs> it, it, I had exactly the same reaction to you, which is like, this is not just a try for Superboot, but it's actually a really good one coming up. Yeah. Like, this is nice, you know, up up there with their, their first try they scored. And then it all came flooding back because I, I I realized like I've seen this before I've seen this on a um on a you know old school VHS like you know bloopers reel and I was and it was like that's how I remember Severo Severo Corondor because of that because of because that. of that moment oh no way like, yeah so- yeah 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 I I'm like ah right now I remember why his name was familiar to me and it's because he was like. We had these ads in New Zealand 
uh, way back in the day for these sweets called minties. You know, the little right, mint, right. Mint thing, right. And they're pretty. It's a pretty famous ad in New Zealand because the ads were just sports fuck ups. You know, it was like okay. uh, the original version of like Fail Army, but just for sports. And so they'd okay. take footage, and they had this like funny, funny music that would play like Benny Hill type music. And everyone was waiting for the new Minty's ad to come out because it was kind of the only the only way you could see stuff like that because they wouldn't okay. show bloopers and, and sports and obviously it was, you know well before the internet. Yeah. And and the the tagline at the end was for moments like these you need Minty's. And and every time someone would fuck up like in any way like at work at school at anything that you'd call it having a Minty's moment. And that oh. has been, that was that was on on the Minty's ad. Oh, that, no. that, that, yeah, so that's the absolute King Minty's moment from Superboot. So, yeah, his uh, his legacy. I like. I'd, I'm lucky because now if I caught up with him and you know if I'd caught up with him in Super and I hadn't remembered it, I wouldn't have brought it up. But now I would. Yeah. I'd have to I'd be like Superboot. Do you remember Eden Park 997 against France? Minty's moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love that they let Ruddy Darter make a sports campaign. <laughs> but um yeah so there's an interview <clears throat> with superboot from about 2015 and there's only kind of extracts on it that i found in this this book on the world cup and he says and this is this is a quote straight from the mouth of the prophet superboot himself Content. i didn't know we had this people in fiji still mention that today no one has forgotten <laughs> that interview is from 2015 no, super almost boot. almost thirty years on, people are still bringing up. Imagine if you put that fucker down. Yeah, imagine if no you put one it would down. remember it. People would go, "What a great try that our iconic player scored." Yeah, and also, you know, he's he's been the best player in this whole tournament, arguably, and just ever in rugby. Bring that up, why don't? Well, you? according according to this podcast, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is official. This is all that matters. It's canon. Yeah. Yeah. No one cares about any other player. I haven't heard of Dan Carter. I mean, we've had some sour news. I think something good happens very shortly after this in this game. Mm-hmm. And we've teased it, you know, we've 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 danced around it a little bit. And I think we should maybe slightly get onto it, right? You mean the Superboot dive pass? I mean so that's pretty good. I have I have written in my notes after that drop. Uh, I mean, I guess that's why he's called Super Boot, not Super Hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then he does a dive pass, and I have to rethink the whole thing. Yes. However, right now, something really interesting happens straight before the thing that you're thinking of. Okay. Because France run a brilliant lineout move where they put Pierre Bebezier, the scrum half, throwing into the lineout. And they put all the forwards straight at the back of the line-out. So obviously Fiji go, well, they're obviously throwing it at the back of the line-out. They've only got one guy at the front. Uh, and that one guy, I think, is Alan Loray. It's one of the two second rows anyway, who just flicks it back to the scrum half, who obviously is far quicker than a hooker would be, and just seems untouched line. However, he gets put out into touch because he's still running down the tiny space in the touch line. And all the Fijians are rapid, as previously established by their leg strength. The ball goes into touch and... We begin to set a line out when the crowd react to something. Yes, a big cheer happens. And I'll be honest, I didn't think this day was going to come again. No. But I feel like it's only tradition that we all read out our notes. Three, two, 
one. Dog on the pitch! (laughs) Dog on the pitch. A full page this time dedicated to the dog on the pitch. It really, really caught me by surprise. I thought we'd assigned ourselves the fact that we found the two moments where that had happened in Rugby World Cup history. And here we are in a quarter final with what I believe to be maybe a German shepherd on the sideline. I think so. I think so. Yeah. It looks like a runaway police dog, to be honest, because those were the police dogs of the time um, in New Zealand. We've sort of touched on this before about just exactly how a fucking dog could make it into, into Eden Park. And then also what you guys might not realise is those aren't cops who are um, really? taking them out. Those are actually the St. John's Ambulance men. Um, so those are the guys who are there to tend to the players when they get injured on the field. Because back in these days, the team didn't have their own physios. They would just have local... And this is this is went for quite a while in New Zealand. Like St. John's Ambulance people are still at rugby games nowadays, but mm-hmm. they're there for like if someone... If there's been a really serious injury, like someone needs to be taken to hospital... But back in the the old days, like they were the only ones, and basically all they would be able to do is come on because medical science was obviously not that advanced, or sports science wasn't mm. that advanced. And so all they would do is run out with a bottle of water and tip water over whatever was hurting, and <laughs> yeah. and then come off the field. And then obviously, given that they were the only people pitch side other than the reserves and the and the touch judges, mm. if there was ever any sort of animal control situation. It was up to them to deal with it. Because <laughs> Grant Nisbet mentions that the touch judge was trying to shoo the dog off the pitch. Yeah. Yes. The dog runs out and the touch judge goes, you're like, no, away, away, away. So we Grant can't Nisbet let says, another one on. we'll never have a big game of rugby over here in New Zealand without the dog getting on the pitch. Like, that's a great tradition of New Zealand rugby. It's not yeah. been the same dog. It's been three different dogs, I'll have you know, Grant. Yeah. I mean, three different breeds, which is fantastic. So, the dog only kind of makes it onto the sideline. Like, he's not... Yes. He doesn't get that far onto the pitch, but he does get on a little bit. I was going to say, he doesn't have quite as good a game as the other two dogs in no. this tournament. I will concede, right? This 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 dog, to me, screamed more sort of second row, back row vibes. I quite thought so. I thought breaker. so. Like, I thought classic tie head lock. So, Jamie, we've got you. We've had the privilege of getting you on the podcast on an episode, one of the very few episodes on this podcast, uh, believe it or not, where a dog happens to get on the field. I would love it if you could call this for us and sort of set the scene of what happens with the dog. Well, I'm not sure how this much got into the park, but he's he's put himself on the side. And you're saying he's playing tight here a lot. To me, he's more of a, seems more of a spectator. And then you've got the St. John's blokes coming over and they don't know what to do because they're not they're not uh, animal control officers. And so they're picking him up under his arms. Uh, sorry, dog, dog, legs. <laughs> his front legs, <laughs> uh, yes. And his front legs and have picked him up as if you would do with a human. Yes. And, and are, walking, are walking him off. And then about after about 10 metres, they're like, geez, this thing's bloody heavier than we thought. And so they have to put him down and have a rest. And then they pick him up again and go again. And I thought, like, Nisbet's obviously thinking it's the funniest thing. Uh, or I don't know whether he thinks it's funny or whether it's just kind of like, oh, my God, here we go again. The world's laughing at us. <laughs> he doesn't put quite as much effort into it as Nisbet, uh, sorry, Keith Quinn did in that, was it the Argentina yeah, game? Yeah, yeah. Where he gives a full-on call of, the dog has disgraced himself. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're an athletic fuck, which I thought was maybe one of the best bits of commentary that Cleveland's ever done. Well, uh, yeah. Done. Um, but it's just kind of funny just how lazy the dog is and then how nonchalant the, the way that they've, because they're obviously seeing the funny side of it, the, the ambulance mm. guys. And the, I, I just, to was- me as a New Zealander, I'm like, this is something we should be kind of concerned about, just how many, firstly, stray dogs there are. <laughs> because this is not, it's not a good thing, um, and then secondly, how they how they getting into the stadium at all, and like what's in these stadiums that these dogs want to uh, is dra- dragging them in? There's no other dogs there. It's the All Black you know? Dream. That's what Jamie. <laughs> yeah, Ever since they were kids, every little puppy in New Zealand dreams of one day pulling on the All Black. Yeah, they've been passing their collars around in really inefficient ways. There's also one of the St John's ambulance people on the field treating a Fijian. So you've got clearly two of them a bit like, do we do this on our own? Do we wait for our mate to get back? Like, and yeah, because as you say, like I thought initially this was the police that were taking him off, that were carrying him off. As no, we... no, but no. And I mean, like oh, no. the other thing <laughs> I then looked up was that so this game took place in obviously 1987, particularly yeah. the 7th of June 1987. Right. Mm-hmm. About three weeks later, Dr. Dre an ice cube would begin writing a particular song. And during the time where I was wondering, where I was assuming this was the police picking up the dog, taking the dog off the pitch, I wondered whether this was perhaps the inspiration for NWA to write perhaps their most well-known hit. (laughs) (laughs) I... Of course, F the St. John's Ambulance people doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Doesn't really scan as doesn't, well. Really doesn't, does it? No. I think Dr. Dre produced Atomic Dog, though, so there's something for you. I think that the 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 events of the game we were alluding to before in 1981 might have been the 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 uh, <laughs> inspiration behind behind that. I know the timelines don't exactly marry up, but there was definitely a very much a, if the police vibe around the last time Clive Norling had been at um, Eden Park. So it's, not it's all sure how, fault. Not that. sure how much rugby was getting beamed into um, Compton at the time, but I mean, we can't rule it out. We cannot. No, we absolutely that. can't. That dog on the sideline just got it bad because he's brown. Uh, uh, so a couple of things, right? First, I have written down, <laughs> fuck off Nisbo with your meanwhile back on the field of play bullshit. I want to see more <laughs> of the dog. I want to hear more about the dog. A second thing, guys, we have to name this dog, right? Yes, this is um, the big question. Because I'm leaning towards this dog being Fijian rather than French. O'Shea Jackson. <laughs> it's either O'Shea Jackson or it's Superboo. It's one or the other. <laughs> See, I don't think it's either French or Fijian. You don't? I think it's a new think it's on the officiating team. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it is. Is is it O'Shea Jackson the dog? <laughs> O'Shea Jackson the dog. O'Shea sure. Jackson the dog, the German Shepherd from Auckland. <laughs> what well, great, great! I'm glad we've covered that. Rodriguez blows another try. Um, Christ, we're back to the rugby. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we better hurry through it because we're coming up in two hours now. <laughs> Christ, we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> there's a point where I just have written down. Blimey, this Salu Salu character seems class. Because he just keeps making breaks every time he gets the ball. 
And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. this guy's incredible. He suddenly comes Where's alive in like, the last half hour, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's just like he's just turning everything into like gold dust. It's incredible. Yeah, he because he lived in Australia for a lot of his time. Uh, obviously, went on to play rugby league after this World Cup, yeah, of course, as everyone in Australia did. Yeah. Adds up. Uh, and his son actually has gone on to play uh, rugby league for Fiji as well. Of course. Uh, played for the Minty 2008 Rugby League World Cup. I was going to say the Fiji World Cup. I imagine. Which is very uncompetitive as a tournament. In, in sort of like the early noughties, if you, if you went down a rugby league club in Australia, you'd just be saying to each other, so who did your dad play for? <laughs> in the 87 Rugby World Cup. Yep, that, that, sounds, that sounds about right, especially... And the Wolves, there's some definite connections there. And it's funny that um, because right now, this week, the other big story in, in sports news around here, other than um, the All Blacks, has been mm. Ricky Stewart, who's the Canberra Raiders um, coach, is in hot water because he, he called a player on another team, a, a weak gutted dog. And the guy the guy he was talking about is like 18. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. And, and it's just ignited this sort of so- thing about whether he should be getting fined or banned. But but Ricky Stewart actually played for the Wallabies this year. He wasn't actually at the World Cup, but he played oh, wow. a few. He, mm. he went on a tour of Argentina and played a few tour games. So, yeah, just sort of nice to little be, conflation there. To be fair to that kid, he's 126 in dog years. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a compliment being called a dog. So, you know. Yeah. He is on the pitch as well. Yeah, yeah, that counts. Uh, I have counts. to say, right, like, if we're gonna if we're gonna rate all of the dogs on pitch, like this mm. one is is a, is a is an easy third because he mm. doesn't really do. He doesn't actually Agreed. get on the pitch. He, he's just on the sideline. He, he has the smallest of a, impact yeah. of the three. Yeah, that much is for yeah. certain. Yeah, uh, like, I mean, is... the only really, the only really memorable thing is the, the way he gets ejected <laughs> from. Sure, like, he is the in terms of like playing career of these dogs. He is the Warren Gatland of sure. dogs. Yeah, like yeah. entire career on the sidelines. Like let's let's break it down, right? So Fabio, the first dog, New Zealand, Italy. Um, good kicker, good, positionally quite aware. You know, it's just a solid inside back. Yeah, yeah sharp. beloved and, by everyone around. Indeed, indeed, and decent turn of pace he showed at the end yeah. as well. Timothy, absolute baller, can play thirteen, fifteen wing, can play wherever. Loves to play. He just yeah. loves to play. Classic um, utility back. Dirty back, yeah. Shits all over the field. Shits all over the field. <laughs> Sold under the high ball as well. Yeah, yeah. Great player he is. Great player. Um, however, O'Shea Jackson, um, decent tackle breaker, like. Sure. But that doesn't make a whole great career, you know. And I'm a fan of him, right? I'm a fan of him. But of course, the other two dogs did definitely performed. At, it's international rugby. We've got to be real with these things. They performed to a yeah. higher standard than he did. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. I don't think we can kind of sugarcoat the. This was a look. It was amazing. It was good. It was good. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was world class. Not the same standard. Not the same standard. The other two were world class. He was good. Yeah. Look, Uh, he's like the the current All Blacks to like the the classic All Blacks that we're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. To make um, it topical again, which we don't need to do. No. Rakaroy goes off, so Fiji go down to 14 men, which is bullshit. For a bit. And then they <laughs> finally bring someone in who was on the stands and not warmed up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the const- It was a constant theme for Fiji to have players go off and come back on in this game. Yeah. Uh, because they just couldn't afford to lose players. Because, of course, they were only allowed two subs, which, again, uh, is bullshit. Fiji almost get themselves a Maserati. Of course. Fiji almost scored one of the best tries of the tournament, like maybe the try of the tournament if they finished it. 
where you have one player, I believe it's now ruler of the scrum off, puts a kind of cross-field kick from midfield as he's making a break to the wing, which beats a couple of players, lands in the hands of Tom Mitchell, who again steams down because he is the quickest man in the world, yeah. and then puts another goal face kick in. Like It's like a double Lloyd Williams moment yeah. in field for, I think it's N'Goro? No, or one of the forwards anyway. Neville Wolasi? One of them. I'm not yeah. sure, sorry. Anyway, I should have checked that properly. should have jotted that down. No. Um, who regathers it, goes to throw the offload, goes to throw the final pass, which is knocked on. But this would have been proper try the tournament contender. This 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 would have made John Kerwin have to go out and buy a car at the end of the tournament <laughs> instead of just getting off for free. It's a gut that it wasn't finished because it's a proper stand up in your seats moment as it happens. Indeed. However, both teams do get final try towards in the last sort of mm. five ten minutes of the game. Lagi's case scores for France. Brilliant try. Great chip chip from Laporte across field. And Lajiske kind of half volleys it and uh, just yeah, finishes spot in the space. Brilliantly. Great finish. Yeah. And Damu scores for Fiji. Jimmy Damu playing on the right wing. Kumbu, again, runs a fantastic mm. angle. And this isn't just, oh yeah, it's overpowered hitting a fullback's line. Like, no, he hit this perfectly off Dharma and timed the pass perfectly for Damu to slide in the corner. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic line. He has a very, very good game. I said kind of his preferred position, Kubu's <clears throat> fullback, and finally gets a chance there because Superboot's been playing there all tournament for obvious reasons. Yeah, And he's been moved to the wing and, yeah, shows why he, why he wanted to play there and why he's so good there. Uh, Jamie, any thoughts on those two tries? Oh, I love that last... Um, uh, they're both really good. Mm. Like, as in, Lajeskay's one was just off a bit of opportune brilliance. And then um, Damu's one was like off a really nice set piece, which I think is is kind of interesting because Fiji had obviously been playing the sort of rugby we've associated with them for this whole tournament, and then they pull out this really slick yeah, try, the, yeah. like a touch, rag- the touch rugby try right at the end. And I'm yeah. like, oh well, well, why don't you do that at the start? You know, like, <laughs> but it, it's um, yeah, a really nice way for them to finish the tournament. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. Lovely uh, way think... to kind of wipe them out. I mean, we then have Laporte kind of takes control of the last five minutes really well. Yeah, um, drops a goal for banter. Yeah, well, he kind of nails it into the French half, like a beautiful kind of wiper kick across the face to put them five metres out. And obviously, because every every possession is a lottery here, France regather it and he just goes, thank you very much, drops a goal, kills the game. Like, it's yeah, a really the crowd great start moment booming. of kind of very modern, yeah. Yeah, very modern game management. Mm, and kind of the is. thing he was clearly thinking about in his first five minutes and couldn't do. And then he kind of closes it down properly in those last five minutes. Like Absolutely. really well taken. Yeah, he does brilliantly. There's, of course, a player down injured and the referee just calls full time four minutes early and Fiji just don't care. And fair I, enough. I feel like I feel like Norling might have been trying to make up for the last time he was eating park where he let eight minutes of injury time go. So he's like, oh, that, that actually <laughs> evens things up. More like even, Park. Am I right, lads? Anyway, <laughs> so that brings us through the end of the game. And I think that we can very quickly do a Fijian leaving party. And now, this is not something that would normally happen, but I've had a request for the song for the oh. Fijian leaving party. So I had somebody said, uh, email me, that's, this is from Lotte, sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, saying that they love the podcast and that they love the leaving parties and thought that this would be a great song for the Fijian leaving party, which is by Lomoy Nassau featuring Viremi Vakitawa, uh, oh. French international. Of course. Yes. This has been something I've been wanting to work out how I drop into a video for a long time. Yeah. Is 
Vakatawa's weird career as a guitarist. Indeed, indeed. This is <laughs> so here we are. This is um, Talai Mi Vaka Nisiva by uh, Lomai Nasao and Vremi Vakatawa. Fiji. So, we say Mose to Fiji. Uh, or Vunavale Vinaka Enuma Avulu. Apologies for both of our um, horrific um, yep. Fijian pronunciations there. But Fiji have been bloody amazing. I've loved them. They've been maybe the team I look forward to most. Them and Japan yeah. are the kind of two teams Without that I like. Doubt. Well, sometimes when we're recording, much as I enjoy doing this, much as I'm glad we're doing this for some reason, you do go, oh, jeez, I've got to watch another 97 game. It's going to take me two hours <laughs> or whatever it is. But when it's Fiji or Japan, I've kind of gone... You know what, though? I'm well you know what, it. though? This is a bit of a treat. Yeah. Tomasi Tharma has been fantastic to watch. Yes. Uh, Carly Rackeroy has been spellbinding. But yeah. it's all down to Severo Corandua, though. I mean, yeah, I think there's a few more names we could throw out before we get onto him. Ungoro, I think, has been fantastic. Ungoro's been great. He's, yeah. he's a great player. He's a um, And Rackeroy, the captain in the second yeah. row. Yeah, I yeah. really like him. I really yeah. like his kind of attitude. Two, he flails his yeah. arms randomly at the line out, which makes him a good set piece forward in those days. Indeed. And he also just offloads a lot. He was the yeah. kind of Nakarara of his day. Yeah. I hugely, hugely into him. No idea who any of the front rowers are, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Jamie, you've been with us for two Fiji games. Thoughts? Yeah. My, my first thought is that it's really awesome to look back and see the direct link between the Fiji of old to the Fiji of now and about where they, as a rugby team, as an identity kind of don't want to sacrifice who who they are, you Mm. know, like like obviously the big thing about them is, oh, if they sorted their set piece out and, and, and played in a more conservative kind of fashion, then they'll probably get more international results. But it's really obvious that they're like, nah, we're not giving up. The, the the spirit that our literal fathers, you know, played, yeah, sure, played yeah. for, which I really really like because you can see like like we talked about earlier about popping the passes into space. It's something that if you're Fijian and like as I walked around sober and watched you know kids and mm. blokes playing but a touch in there and they're and they're off time and I joined in with a few games as well. That's literally Ooh, nice. what they do. They just stop and pop and and so it's cool to see you know where it all where it all came from. So. Yeah, and also, it was nice to watch Fiji again where they're actually trying. I know I've said this twice before. <laughs> yeah. That last game was just like, oh my god, I, I didn't realise it was you know that much of a bloody you know walkover. But yeah, it was sure. pretty cool. Pretty yeah, cool. I love that. So yeah. I believe that brings us on to man of the match and dick of the day. Well, we've we've kind of not re- I mean, Superboot. I suppose we've talked about Superboot an oh. awful lot over the whole over the whole time. we basically dedicated the podcast to him yeah and I love look, the guy I might, we might dedicate like feature length documentaries to him in the future that's it I think uh, we're far from done talking about him even if we never see him play again we're yeah. going to talk about him so much and I've it's genuinely been such a pleasure watching him play because not only it's I can't quite explain him like like Usually when we latch onto a player like this, like, you know, like the Anderman Rose of the world and stuff, it's semi-ironic. But with Superboot, for me, I don't think it is because I've I, genuinely adored watching him play. I have the same thing with that. Look, leave Anderman Rowe out of this. Okay, leave Anderman Rowe out of this. I was a huge fan of that guy and the way that he played fly half like he was a bollard. Whereas, yeah, Superboot, I just for he is like a shining oasis in the middle of this World Cup. 
You mm. know, he is just a glorious, glorious figure. I've always looked forward to watching it. It's made it so much better. Yeah. And as Jamie, as you were saying earlier, he is so easy to imagine playing nowadays. You could drop him into a team, a modern team, and he would get on. He would get on perfectly well, even without the kind of conditioning and everything that yeah. teams have now. And if you gave him that, we're looking at the greatest player of all time, which we are anyway. So, yeah, I'm just such an enormous fan of the guy. And I can't wait for us to eventually cover 1991 so we get to see him again. Oh, yes. Oh, that's going to be so good. Yeah, we're going to be so excited when that eventually happens. Because <laughs> we've probably got like 16 World Cups before oh, we yeah, get yeah. to there. Yeah. So, yeah, is that done with Fiji for the time being? I believe so. Yeah. Should we move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day? Indeed. Should we start with Man of the Match? Sure. And Jamie, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I feel like I feel like Tom Mitchell. I was really impressed with. You know, like we we talk a lot about Superboot and the way he he played. I think that Tom Mitchell gave a few glimpses that he would be a quite a handy winger mm. uh, these days as well. Like I really liked his um, contribution to that first try. I know it's easy to sort of single out wingers, but I think for me he was the guy who I was like, oh wow, this guy's this guy's sharp. Yeah. I know, and it's a bit. Yeah, you know, but we had man of the match from the losing team. But also, I think that like whatever France that that France managed to kind of after Fiji had shocked them with their early try, that they actually got together and went, "Come on, boys! Like we just have to kind of shut this down and score a couple of tries to the forwards." And they and they did. So they played to their, played to their strengths. So I think Rodriguez for me as well. But I think uh, yeah, for me, Tom Mitchell. Tom Mitchell's my man of the match. But shout out to that. Rodriguez. Yeah, I love that. I find this really difficult to pick a man of the match because mm. before the game even started, I decided my man of the match was Superboot just because <laughs> I love him that much. I literally wrote him down before I'd even like opened the game, anything, because it's not necessarily who the best player is. It's just who my man of the match is. It's just who I select as the, my favourite player from this match. So I had it written down as was Superboot and I went through the whole game not thinking about man of the match, not caring who was going to get it, not thinking about, oh yeah, this guy's playing well. I was just thinking, well, it's just going to be Superboot, isn't it? And then a bloody dog came on the field and it's given me the hardest decision <laughs> I've ever had to make on here because... Look, I know that I know that O'Shea Jackson didn't maybe have the glittering performance that the other two dogs have had, but he's still canine. You know? So what you're saying is your man of the match is Colin Deans. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> My man of the match is Superboot. Okay. Okay. Can I say something incredibly controversial that may see me not invited back on my own podcast? What? I don't think Superboot has that good a game. I don't care. <clears throat> I like. I. I don't think. Bless you, but, um I don't think he's. I don't think he's a fly off. <laughs> I no, think no, no, we see neither. that repeatedly. Look, I've already but told I had a great time. you. I'm I glad don't I got care. To find out. Yep. Yeah. I just. I'm, I'm just glad. I. It doesn't matter to me. He's my man of the match. He's, he's. I don't think he's anywhere near the best player in the park, but he's my man of the match. No, I just wanted to get that. Just like he wasn't in man of the match contention for me. No, 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 um, no. If no, I was picking I, it in the conventional, hey, me neither. I get that. I get that. I get that. Um, so I think Tom Mitchell's a great shout as well. Uh, mm. I think he's very high up for me. I think, as you mentioned, Rodriguez scores two tries as a very good gamer all round. De Broadcourt's what I thought for France in the front row. Yeah. Uh, played well. But I think that. So I think Guy Laporte and Serge Blanco both play very well in terms of pinning Fiji back and keeping them kind of down. And they, one of those two feels like my kind of head choice. And my heart choice is obviously torn between a dog who does literally nothing or Hone Kubu. 
And you know dog, what? Dog, dog. You know what? I feel honestly like Kubo might be the player who has the biggest impact and has causes the most fun alongside Tom Mitchell. So I should probably give it to Guy Laporte. I don't know. I'm talking myself in circles, hoping I'll make a decision. As you say, it's a really difficult game to pick him out of the match for. Then give um, it to the dog. I'm going, I'm going for Kubo. I'm going for Kubo. <sighs> we need to invite more guests on this episode until someone eventually picks O'Shea Jackson, the dog. He just needs to make more of an impact, man. We've got to send a message. That you, just being a dog is not enough. <laughs> just being a dog is not always enough. So... Oh, we're doing oh, Dick of the Day. Dick of the Day. Oh, okay, we're not done yet. <laughs> My Dick of the Day, very quickly, is Minty's for vilifying Superboot. <laughs> I'm going to go with either Philippe Salah's Barber, because that's one of the worst bowl cuts I've ever seen. Or, oh, actually, shout out to Clive Norling again. Like, he should have got a man in the middle for, for not getting on the piss that I've four. Like, <laughs> maybe he did. But I'm going to say Dick of the Day is the two ambulance men for not just chucking a leash on that dog and actually walking it out like a like you should with a dog and like they're, clearly they've never seen a dog before <laughs> and then like, 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 i don't know so so that those are my dicks of the day yeah completely agreed completely agreed that's where they're going they take the dog off the pitch and in a terrible manner just kind of like raising its front paws as you say like they've never picked up a dog probably never seen as you say picked up a dog before completely agreed that is also my dick of the day lovely and few uh jamie thank you for joining us where can people find you where what have you have you written any books in the last three weeks while you've been doing this how how please tell people where they can find you in all of your assorted appearances everywhere uh yeah you can find me on twitter at jamie wall too i'm obviously very active on that lately because um new zealand rugby twitter is obviously popping off right now um it's the first time and i guess in the social media era that you've you've had a situation like this with the all black so the conversation is coming thick and fast obviously loving loving you guys videos um down here thanks Um, the last one last analysis of the all blacks island game was very very well received um a lot of people in new zealand saw that and um it answered a lot of questions a lot of people were um were asking so thank you very much for that Um, thank you thank you for watching it's very kind yeah uh, twitter's there and if you want to find my books just google Google me, Jamie Wall, and uh, you can find all five of them online for sale. So, yeah. I'll, I'll put a link in the description of this podcast for you. No, thanks for coming back, Jamie. You're a real favourite on this podcast, both for us and for the listeners. So it's always a pleasure having you on. And, you know, we were saying before you came on, it's it's like um, a, a crowning moment having you on twice in the 1987 series. So, Oh, it's, yeah. well, it's been a great, it's been, it's been great fun. I think, I like it, like you said before, we could probably just yarn about this all day, but... Um, yeah. yeah. yeah Imagine to... how long we'd have been going on for if Clive Norling didn't blow up four minutes early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, thank... No, thank you for joining. Thank you. We've taken up a lot of your time here as well. Yeah, thanks, um, man. Really appreciate but, it. Yeah, really appreciate it. Always World's great busiest to... man. Talk to you as always. Uh, yeah, I hope we haven't like overrun six other media appearances. But yeah, yeah, cheers. And look, looking forward to one day giving you hopefully another game of this, let's say quality, <laughs> to live up well, to. Well, fingers crossed I'll be up your way in, um, in November. Oh, really? Uh, if, yeah, yeah, it should be following the All Black Tour. Um, oh, brilliant. Up there, so Dude, just got to iron a few things. things out. So maybe we could do this in real life next time. For oh, sure. that'd be great. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm we'll so down. All right. All right. We'll see you then. All right.
And for everyone else, thank you very much for listening. Please join us next week when the game will be Australia 33, Ireland 15 once again in the quarterfinals. We may have a guest there. We'll see how things go. Thank you very much for listening. And to all of you, good night and please dream of Superboot. Goodbye. I love Superboot. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.